Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metz here. Along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. And today we are starting our division previews. It is that time of the year already. It is uh, very hard to believe uh, that it's already mid-September. The season will be here in under a month at the time of recording. It starts October 10th, I believe, is the first day of games. Uh, It's September 18th right now, so... Um, we're going to be starting with the Atlantic Division today, our uh, usual classic, obviously Chase being a Leaf fan, myself being a Senators fan, we figured that was the easiest place, but uh, Chase, we got some news to talk about before that. Yes, we do. Uh, it uh, came out yesterday uh, on Sunday, and we're, as I mentioned, we're recording on Monday right now. I don't know, this will probably go out on the Tuesday, but... Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets and Mike Babcock have already parted ways before he has even coached a shift in the preseason. Uh, this comes out after a pretty big controversy that uh, definitely, I would say, took the hockey world by storm over the past week. There hasn't been a uh, a ton of stuff going on right now in, in the hockey world, and this was definitely the biggest news story. Uh, this broke on the Spinning Chicklets podcast where uh, they talked about how players reached out and said that Mike Babcock took people during their meetings would make players bring up their phones and show him pictures of what was on their phones. Uh, Mike Babcock and Columbus uh, then came out with a statement saying that he used it as a bonding activity to just see pictures of their family and their vacations through the summer. Uh, Boone Jenner, their captain, and Johnny Goudreau both came out with the statement as well, saying they didn't see anything wrong. However, the NHLPA stepped in and did a big investigation that ended up with uh, Mike Babcock releasing a statement yesterday saying he would be resigning as head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, as he saw it was too much of a distraction, which definitely feels like a bit of a forced re- resignation, if I do say so myself. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he didn't do this out of the goodness of his heart. No, not at all. And um, this is definitely... I think a situation where some people both in the hockey landscape uh, and on Twitter, like in in terms of people who cover the game probably learned it's uh, sometimes better to just wait until you have all the facts before you say something. (laughs) Um, I intentionally did not say anything because I don't have inside information on the Columbus Blue Jackets as most people don't. Yeah, and obviously, you know, it's um, because it was broken on spit and chiclets. And and again, I I think the reason it gained so much traction is obviously they are a massive platform. Um, They are, they have their own issues as well. And that obviously drew some criticism. It's kind of one of those situations where it didn't really feel like anyone was in the right like there it's not like there was moral high ground on any side of this and um i i do think the outcome in terms of mike babcock investigation happening and mike babcock resigning is probably for the best it definitely also brings up some questions of why was he hired in the first place if you know this is something that i don't think should have been shocking that that happened and also if this is not all it took is probably not the right word, but it's not like, like this isn't uh, an abuse scandal. If you know what I mean, right? Like he, he didn't say something homophobic. He didn't say something racist or anything like that, but he did something wrong. And, and again, 
it just shows how thin of ice he was already on where it goes, is this really what you should have been doing anyways? Yeah, like, yeah, he was on thin ice from, from the beginning, as he probably should have been, uh, because you probably, you know, shouldn't have hired him in the first place. would have been a pretty easy way to avoid this situation, in my humble opinion. And, I mean, maybe not like this specific way or like anything like that, but, I mean, some sort of Mike Babcock scandal not the most shocking thing in the world and obviously if he was in the wrong at any scandal given his history he was probably going to either be fired or asked like forced to resign or something like that like this is exactly how that was always going to go yeah like i just i don't know it's it's one of those things where you know what he did and obviously there's there's some unconfirmed reports of stuff as well and allegations made of, of his time in Detroit. Um, you know, what he did is not on the same level of, say, Bill Peters, who also got a job in hockey again this, this offseason uh, in the CHL. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it's just one of those classic things where it's like there's more than 38 head coaches that you can hire we don't need to keep recycling the same 38, you know, like, um, yeah, that's the thing. He's like, that's Mike Babchuk really such a tactical genius. This was a necessary move to make. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, it's not like this is a guy who won four cups in the last six years or something like that. You know, it's just, um, it just felt unnecessary. It's definitely the best way to put it. And, uh, my biggest question now is so the the Columbus men or uh, ownership group did put out a statement. It was pretty vanilla is the way I'm going to put it, where they basically said they're frustrated by the events of the past week. And they've been talking with their coaching team and management group as well. And uh, a, a full agreement with Mike Babcock stepping down. They didn't really go into much other than that though. You know, like I just, uh, I don't know how there's not more changes and uh, I forget who I was listening to, but someone said they, they can't believe that Yarmo Kekalainen is going to come out of this unscathed as well. And I saw people, a couple of people defending it saying, well, people weren't that mad at the time when Babcock is hired. So why should Kekalainen be fired? It's like, I don't know if he should specifically be fired for this one thing, but a he's in charge of making the decision. So even if people weren't super pissed off at the time, they had no impact on whether that decision was made or not. And B, this is like the sick that Goach Kekalina has been through, and this team has been not very good for the better part of, well, their franchise, but definitely over a decade since he got here. Yeah, I don't see a great leg to stand on. Not that, like, you know, this was like a moral issue more so than anything. That's why it was a stupid hire of Babcock. Not that on-ice success should necessarily cancel out moral failings but like you know i don't i don't see a great argument as to why this wouldn't result in significant consequences for him yeah like and again it's one of those things where it's unfortunate but the way things are in hockey if he was a gm say 
even like Steve Eiserman or Julian Breezeball, where they've had obvious success in the past couple of years, I'd be like, yeah, I don't expect anything to happen to them because their teams are very good. And again, that's unfortunate, but it is the way it is that if you have a good team, you're going to be a little more shielded from any criticism or consequences, you know, but I just, I, I don't get either side of it. It's not like he had built this dynasty already. And then the big giant risky move that he made is absolutely blown up in his face. And there still doesn't seem to be any consequences. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a tough look at best. Yeah. Like that's, that's the politest way to put it. I would say. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just, again, like it's tough because, you know, it's one of those things where, Babcock is clearly in the wrong here. A breach of privacy, I think, is how I saw it described uh, on Sportsnet, and that's a that's the best way to put it. It's not like this was malicious, but it it is a breach of privacy. And if you know, like, with a guy who has his past, where people have said, like, this guy is just not a very good guy. He's just kind of a bad dude, you know, and, you know, you're not going to get any favors that way. So again, it's not like he said anything racist or something like that, but when you're already a guy who's had a past and allegations made against him that you're being manipulative and, you know, um, you're purposely trying to make your players feel bad. As soon as this comes out, you just, you absolutely do not deserve the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was the other big thing. I mean, this immediately when it happens, Babcock didn't deserve the benefit of the doubt. It turns out that was the correct way to analyze the situation, which, yeah, should have shocked no one. But if that is true, you probably just shouldn't put yourself in that position to begin with, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, again, just uh, um, not a great situation, a very avoidable situation, but it's... uh, a situation that I think has been dealt with now. Um, like, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter and stuff as we talk, we got it wrong and that's on us. Blue jackets, brass address, Babcock resignation. Like, so that they are owning it, I guess. But again, I don't know. To me, it just felt like a very avoidable situation, but I, I guess if you're going to take one bright thing out, it, it's done now. It's not like they're trying to prolong this anymore, but I don't know. It's just, uh, it's not a fun thing to talk about. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to our season previews. There has been some signings since we last recorded, uh, which was probably almost a month ago. We took a week off, posted our goalies podcast. If you haven't checked that out, check all four of our tier lists out or our, uh, sorry, top 20 rankings. That was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, but then we took another week off. We were really busy last week. I was swamped with work. So We're back with the season previews. As I mentioned, we're starting with the Atlantic Division. And just like every year, we're going to go team by team. Uh, I'm assuming, Chase, I haven't actually talked to you about this, but I'm assuming like in years past, we've kind of ranked the teams one through eight for every division and split them up into general tiers as well. And we'll we'll go tier by tier and then also obviously rank the the teams within, within the tiers as well. Yeah, exactly. I made a whole Excel spreadsheet for this. Might even tweet it out, compile a whole bunch of team stats and stuff for it, so. Yep, that's uh, that'll be awesome. So make sure you check that out. I'll plug our Twitter. NHL sends and stuff is mine. CM Hockey sixty six is Chase's. So we'll plug that right now. Uh, go check that out. We'll have it up with the podcast. Um, 
All right, let's start from the bottom and go up like we usually do. Uh, the last place in the Atlantic division. This is a very, very interesting division this year. Um, you know, so our tiers, we don't have set tiers necessarily, but the way I usually try to sort it is going to be a bottom feeder, you know, a tanking rebuilding team that's going to be in the bottom of the league. Um, sometimes I'll do a, a kind of a middle tier where they're not really in the playoffs, but they're also not like the worst team in the league either. Uh, playoff bubble tier, shooting for top three in the division and fighting for division lead are kind of the five tiers that I use. So let's start at the bottom here. I have one team in the bottom tier and I, I debated where I put another team here, but in eighth place, I don't think this should shock anyone. I have the Montreal Canadiens. Yep. That, uh, that is exactly what I had too. They are, they are worse than everyone else in this division by a significant margin. Yeah. I think we'll get to the next, uh, the team, I'm talking about here in a second, but I, I've seen a couple hot takes of people trying to say they're not going to be the last in the division. And like, it's hockey. So obviously anything can happen. You know, you, you can't, I think one of the things that I've really taken from listening to past years and doing this in the past and kind of looking back on it is a lot of the times, especially when we first started this podcast, we were very confident in all of our predictions. It's hockey. Shit happens, yep. you know? Um, so, you know, we're just trying to give you know, the most likely outcome in a season. There's obviously going to be surprises. But to me, this is, you know, you have to have the caveat. If these guys are not eighth in the division, it's a hot take. And, and it should not be the quote unquote most likely thing to happen. Yeah, they are. They finished almost 15 or almost 20 points back of last in the division. And. Part of this, the spreadsheet I compiled is their their over underline on points for the season is like 15 points behind the next worst team in the division. Like that's seven wins. That's a peak Igor Shesterkin as opposed to a replacement level goalie difference between seventh and eighth in the division. Like they're relative to the rest of the division. They're horrible. And they were horrible last year. And they added Alex Newhook, who God bless him, will probably score more points than he did last year, but is not good enough to make up 20 standing points. Yeah, exactly. Like they were 12 points behind the Red Wings last year, and the Red Wings added Alex Debrinkit, and yeah, the Montreal Canadiens added Alex Newhook. Like, yeah. Um, I, I think this team will be okay, like in terms of relatively speaking, of last place division teams. Um, like yep. if, we, if you look at the other conferences they're obviously not going to be as bad as the coyotes even with batard i don't think they'll be as bad as the blackhawks they're not going to be as bad as the ducks or sharks and i don't think they'll be as bad as the flyers or even blue jackets but you know it's just a tough division um and they're a rebuilding team and i i think if you ask toronto management and even their fans they would probably accept and admit that yeah i think they're fairly comfortable with that i think really the only thing the Fans, I think the fans overrate how good the good players are on their team. <laughs> but, like, I think the fans definitely understand that this team is not a playoff-bound hockey team. Yeah, so that's the, probably the biggest thing in terms of fans versus public is how good is this forward core, really? Because, you know, I think the fans really enjoy, obviously, Nick Suzuki has almost become a bit of a meme with how Montreal fans talk about him. Um, you know, we did our top 20 centers list and I don't believe he was even close on either of our lists, if I'm remembering correctly for top 20 centers. Uh, I didn't even think about them. 
Yeah, me either. Um, right now, Daily Faceoff has Cole Caulfield on his left, Kirby Dock on his right. Again, like that's it's a first line. It's not a good first line, um, but it's a first line. Then they have New Hook, Dvorak, Josh Anderson, uh, Gallagher. If he can stay healthy at this point in his career, I just don't expect much more than forty to fifty games played for Gallagher in a year. Uh, and then uh, Slavkovsky is going to be a big question mark. Jake Evans. And then Harvey Pinard, Sean Monahan, Joel Armia on that fourth line. So it just kind of lacks obvious start potential. I think Cole Caulfield, you know, he obviously has the goal scoring potential for that top line. And at 22, I, I think that, you know, it's still um, a good bet that, you know, we can see him blossom into a relatively common 30 goal scorer or whatever. But they they really definitely, especially up the middle, lack that true alpha forward right now. Yeah, I think they lack both. Like, it, they're in a tough spot because they don't generate offense particularly well. And the players who are best at generating offense are somewhere between mediocre to bad to awful defensively. So, like, yeah. it's they, they're out on both fronts. And, like... Yeah, Caulfield probably will be a 30-goal guy, I would think, but it's not like Cole Caulfield's going to score 60 to make up for this team's problems either. No, definitely not. And again, that's yeah, that's going to be one of their questions. I mean, there's question marks on all three, and this is why they are definitively eighth in the division is because if you look at their defense then, um, they, they definitely tried to go a little older, but this is still a very, very young defense core, all things considered. Um, you know, you have David Savard, who they brought in for the veteran leadership or whatever. Michael Matheson, that's right now slated to be their top pair, according to Daily Faceoff. I don't know if that'll actually uh, take place or not. Um, but yeah, you you have those two. Then you have Jordan Harris. Uh, right now on Daily Faceoff, the second pair is listed as Jonathan COVID. I don't even know how to pronounce this last name. COVID Chakovic <laughs> and uh, Arbor Jacki and Caden Gooley as the third pair as well. And so about four of those guys I just named are 23 or younger. Uh, they have David Reinabacher, who they drafted in the first round. I doubt he'll, he, I, I would be very surprised if he makes the team out of camp. I think it would probably be smarter to just start him in the minors, but then um, Justin Barron's another name and then Chris Weidman for depth as well. Yeah, which is not a good list. I yeah, I would be Reinbacher might might stay overseas too. I'm not a hundred percent sure what their plan is with him, but I think it would be borderline suicide to throw him at the NHL level on the roster right now. Especially the way like he was getting booed when they drafted him and stuff because of everybody wanted Mitchkov, which like you know I would have wanted Mitchkov too, but it was just such a PR nightmare and stuff. I think it would be really unfair to him to throw him into games where you know he's going to get cooked and you know people are going to be very mad about it yeah the only way i think he sees nhl time is if he just absolutely destroys camp and they do the classic thing where he plays like seven games and they send him to the ahl or back yeah unless he just stays overseas right like um, yeah exactly because, yeah. I mean, like, God forbid you give him a shot just to give him a shot and people are, like, booing him when he makes one mistake or some shit like that. 
Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this was a very young defense core last year. It's still going to be a very young defense core uh, this year, but it, you know, I think this is fine in terms of if the goal is just get another top five pick or whatever, like this is a fine roster to do it. You have a couple guys where you go, yeah, like the, like the Habs and their Habs fans are very high on Caden Gooley. I'm definitely not as high on him as Habs fans are, but like if Caden Gooley proves he can be a reliable third pair defenseman for your team going forward, that's better than nothing, I guess. And other than that, like it's, for for some of these bottom feeding teams, it's going to sound sad, but it's kind of just playing out the year to play out the year at this point. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's. I mean, I have some great draft content ready for you. Yeah, In exactly. my unbiased opinion. That's what you should be focused on. Yeah, um, like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Gooley's a bright spot. Like it is nice that they have some young guys, but like, I mean, you're not winning a cup because you have Arbor Jack High on your team or someone like that like i mean you can win with him but you're not going to win because of him same goes with a significant amount of these players right like it's development and draft yeah exactly and like if anyone even argued otherwise they have colorado's second round pick now granted they got rid of their own second rounder this year uh but they have two thirds they have two fifths they have three sevenths this year next year they already have two firsts they have two seconds and two fourths already for next year so like they are loading up on draft picks and you know again it's just a a pretty obvious path for him from the management group as well. And in net, I keep people, I keep hearing people say they think that Sam, they want Sam uh, Montembeau to step up and take the starters role. It's like, really? Is that, is that, that really is what their plan, plan is long-term? That is a cap friendly. Thank you for reminding me of this, a waiver claim goalie from Florida. Yeah. Uh, like, that is apparently and- something they're planning on being Carey Price's successor which is an interesting tactic. Yeah, well, and like, the, the funniest is, too, like, how many games, if, if you haven't looked at it already, try and guess how many games he's played over the past two seasons for Montreal. Oh, God. I don't think it's many. Is it, like, 50? It's just under 80. It's 78. So, like, they have oh, given this guy starts. And... Yeah. Some some of that was because Jake Allen spent a lot of the past two years hurt, and um, Caden Primo just has not turned into the goalie that I think they were kind of hoping he would. But yeah, twenty twenty one, twenty two, and again, they are, these are some bad Habs teams. But eight ninety one in net, he's a part of that bad Habs team. Uh, and then last year in forty games, nine oh one in net. Um, and, and like again, I don't think it's a bad idea for him to start this year because. How often have we said the best way to get a high draft pick is build a decent team that plays well and just gets absolutely crucified by goaltending? <laughs> yep. But yeah, like I, I keep hearing people kind of mention, oh yeah, they they kind of see him as like a long-term option. I'm like, what? What are we talking about? Yeah, I think that is insane. I mean, like we always have to have the maybe it does happen caveat with goalies, but I mean, I guess try, but I would not have particularly high hopes for it. Yeah, I I just don't get it. Um, what I'm going to be curious, trying to look up, I, I don't see, uh, I, I wonder what Jake Allen's status is going into the year because they do have three goalies in Jake Allen, Casey DeSmith, who they got in the, um, 
uh, Eric Carlson trade being the third third party broker for that. And then obviously Montembeau, as we talked about. So it'll be interesting to see if Jake Allen's hurt to start the year, if they plan on waiving one of those guys, if they plan on running three goalies to start. I don't I don't know what the plan is there or maybe they want to trade someone. I, I really don't know. But uh, um, you don't really see three goalie systems too often in the NHL, especially not three goalies at the age of 33, 32 and 26. None of which are more than a backup goalie. Yeah, none of which have like great priors going in or anything. Yeah, so I'll be curious to see what they kind of do with that. Um, one thing I want to do this year, and I obviously I uh, we didn't really talk about this before, but I think it'd be good to just even come up with on the fly. Let's go through one or two things that we're interested to watch for every team, whether that's a a player, a system, whatever. Um, is, is there any you know what, what's the main thing you're looking for from Montreal this year? The main thing I find interesting with Montreal this year is selfishly Slavkovsky. Slavkovsky was a pick that all of the draft models hated, but our model is significantly higher on than everyone else publicly. So I'm curious. Kind of hope he does well just because of that. Selfishly. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a great pick. That's kind of what I was going to go with as well. So uh, just to be different, I'll go with their young guys, but especially the two that they've traded for in uh, Kirby Doc and Alex Newhook. Um, Kirby yeah. Doc had a bit of a reclamation year last year with them. Um, you know, like I think he just off the top of my head, yeah, he had 38 points in 58 games, which new career high at 26 and 70 and 23 and 64 the previous two years in, in uh, Chicago and 10 and 18 as well. Um, so I want to see if that is, you know, kind of real again. Like, can he be a 45 to 50 point player? Because if he can, like, I don't think that's a bad pickup for them. And then in the same way, we've already kind of mentioned him, but Alex Newhook, uh, he had chance after chance in Colorado. Uh, Montreal gave him a four by $2.9 million deal. If I remember correctly, we both really like that deal in terms of there's just not a lot of risk. So I want to see if, you know, putting Alex Newhook in a bit of a, a bigger position and just kind of throwing him in the deep end saying, hey, we don't have anything to lose, figure it out. I want to see what that looks like as well. Yeah, that'll be a fun one to watch. I kind of flamed a new book trade on Twitter, so I'm also selfishly interested in that one. Yeah, I I say I don't really understand why they felt they need to give up the assets they did for him. Um, yeah. It just didn't really make sense for where the team is. But in terms of an actual player, like if this was, if let's say Newhook just didn't get qualified or whatever, and they signed him to a four-year $2.9 million deal in free agency, I would have been, I would have loved the move. And that's why I didn't mind the contract at all. Yeah. I don't, I know this is going to happen. This is my prediction. We'll get this out there now. Newhook is going to score like 45 points and people are going to do victory laps that it was a successful trade, but scoring. 45 points on the worst team in a division is not actually worth giving up significant assets for. Yeah, exactly. Um, what did you say their over under points were? It was 70.5. Okay. Over or under? If I was to bet anything, I would bet the over on that. I... They are a decent enough team. They scored 68 or Put up 68 last year. I'm thinking they're a decent enough team. They're more likely to luck above it than like get worse. You know? Yeah, I think I would also go the over. That's a great line, though. I think like that I would see them in line. that 68 to no, me either. 68 to 71, 72 point range is kind of where I see them. Yeah, exactly. Okay. 
on to the next team. And I have them in the tier of their own where I don't think they're going to be like, they're not really a rebuilding team, but I also don't think they're really good enough to be in the playoff hunt. Like I know they think they are, but I, I don't really see it. And that's the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, I debated what tier to put them in. They're distinctly better than Montreal, and they're also distinctly worse than the next couple teams, but they're also closer to the next couple than they are to Montreal, so I wasn't 100% sure, but I think they make sense in a tier of their own. Yeah, I debated putting them at the very tail end of the next tier I have, but I, I decided to put my own own little tier here for them. Um, let's go through their roster as well. So last year they finished with 80 points, as I mentioned, 12 more than Montreal, 80 points in 82 games, minus 39 goal differential. Um, you know, they are a very strange team. I don't really understand what the long-term outlook is here with the uh, Detroit Red Wings. And, you know, unlike some other teams that we'll get to within this division where it's like, I can see the core they're building around here. It just feels like more of the same with Detroit where it's like, you have a couple good players in Dylan Larkin. Uh, you brought in Alex Debrinkit, who I think is going to have a great bounce back year. And then you had some young guys that you really just haven't panned out as much as you would like, like Lucas Raymond and even more Cider are both very solid players. But, you know, Cider's rookie campaign was amazing and then kind of had a, a down year last year relative to the rookie campaign. So, you know, you kind of need them to take big steps forward. Raymond's just kind of been a, an okay, you know, middle six, second line forward kind of guy. I just don't really know what the plan is here. This offseason, they go in, they bring Debrinket in. I think that was a great move from Detroit. I can't lie. They bring in Shane Gostas Bear, Justin Hall. Like, they kind of just block out some young guys who could have maybe made a difference on their blue line. Like, like Simone Edmondson. Doesn't and look like they're yeah, trying to play Ed, Edmondson. No, and I just, like... I don't understand why, you know, they bring in Jeff Petrie. They, they trade for Petrie as well. Only Mata. So it's like, I just don't understand the vision for this team. And it just ends up being a very underwhelming roster of a bunch of guys who are way older than you think they are. And not particularly that great. Yeah. I disagree with the way Montreal is going about it, but I fully understand what Montreal is trying to do. And at a high level, it makes sense. They just have the wrong players in place, in my opinion. Um, I think everybody else in the division, I understand definitely what they're trying to do. Detroit confuses me. Yeah, like I just, I don't know. I, I don't really understand it. And even, you know, I'll be honest. Like, obviously, I, I think it is, um, they're clearly better than they were last year just by bringing in a guy like Debrinket. But it, it's not like, you know, like I feel like people were, I don't know if overlooking is the right word, but they, they trade a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi away as well. And Detroit fans couldn't stop talking about how amazing Bertuzzi was last year. And then this year it's like, well, we didn't need him. We have to bring it. It's <laughs> like, okay, like I don't think Bertuzzi was as good as you guys were saying, but at the same time, you can't just say it was, it's a nothing loss now that he's not on your team. Yeah, I agree with that. I, they, yeah, cause they lost, they lost Suter, Bertuzzi and Kubalik. Which is a decent enough hit from a team that didn't have that many good forwards. Like to, to bring it's nice because it brings some actual upside that didn't really exist outside of Larkin. But like, it's not like this team had just a glut of forwards that could all play in the top six of the NHL, even middle six at the NHL level. No, like their lines right now. I'm just going by daily faceoff. I'm sure they are probably a little different than this but 
Their first line, Lucas Raymond, Dylan Larkin, Alex DeBrinkett. Not the worst first line in the world, I don't think. Like, Dylan Larkin's a very solid centerman. Um, you know, I, I think he had a bit of a down year, if I'm not mistaken, last year. But I he's been so good for so long that I, I think he, you know, he'll be okay. Alex Brinkett had a down year last year and still almost scored. I think it was like 30 goals. He, I think he had 25. Um, and then like Sens fans were pissed with what he put up last year. So that shows you the talent that he is. And, and again, as I mentioned, like Lucas Raymond isn't been the difference maker that they were hoping, but if he's the third best player on your first line, you're probably okay. But then you go Whatever. John, Jonathan Bergeron, JT Comfort, David Perron on your second line. Like, that's not the most inspiring thing in the world. David Perron's all right, but he's 35. Um, you know, like I just I don't really know what's expected out of that. And then Robbie Fabry, Andrew Kopp, Daniel Sprong, Clem Costin, Michael Rasmussen, and Kristen Fisher. Like everyone's just kind of fine, is the way fine. I would put it. Yeah, they they should be able to ice three third lines and a bad first line. Yeah. the Which isn't inspiring, especially when you look at the defense core to go with it. The big question will be, can someone like Marco Casper crack the roster this year, or will he play another year either overseas or or with the AHL team? Um, that's their big difference maker up front in terms of guys who would come in this year, I think. But I don't know how likely it is that he makes the team out of camp again. Yeah, I I don't know. He's basically their him and Brinkett would be their hope at true upside on the forward core. So I would I'm gonna hope he makes it because that like the earlier Casper's ready to go, the more likely it is that he's good. And I mean that's that's their hope in terms of elite forward talent on the way. Yeah, for sure. And then in net, they have um, uh, James Reimer and Billy Husso. Uh, Billy Husso had a disastrous year last year when they acquired him. And James Reimer, they're hoping for a bit of a bounce back, being a 1B kind of guy. And But he, again, he's 35 years old. Like, I just, it's fine. It's just, it doesn't, nothing about this team really inspires much confidence in me. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, We'll talk to, we'll talk, I'll get to this on the next two teams specifically who I think could easily miss the playoffs. But like, if you're going to be a team out of the playoffs, I would probably want a fairly like volatile distribution of potential outcomes, right? Where like, if you're going to be bad, I'd want it to be a disaster because I want Iserman or Celebrini or Kibihari or whoever at the top of the draft ends up being there by the end of the year. And if you're going to be good, you want to be preferably good on the back of elite young players who make it look like your team belongs in the playoffs for the next 10 years. Um, like This team seems like they just have an all right median outcome. I don't really buy upside and I don't really buy downside either. They just seem comfortably like the 20th best team in the league. Yeah, like that's really the best way to put it. Um, in net, they have Sebastian Casa, who I, I think they are really high on. Um, but yep. I, again, I don't think he'll be starting for them this or like playing with them this year. I think he starts probably in the minors and maybe that's not even the worst thing yep. for him. It's just one of those things where when we're talking about them right now, yeah, like it's just, 
the average age of this team is 26.2 on forward, 28.6 on defense, and 31.5 on in goalie, in, in net, sorry. Like, that's just, it's not this young, spry team or anything like that. Yeah, they're not, they're not young enough to make up for how mediocre everything else is. No, and a lot of their young guys up front, like obviously Lucas Raymond's 21, and even Dabrinkit and Larkin are 25 and 27. It's not like they're old by any means, but, you know, like Clem Costin, Daniel Sprong, 24 and 26, Christian Fisher's 26. So that that brings that age, obviously, to the 26.2 mark. But it's like, what are you expecting of Clem Costin, Daniel Sprong, and Christian Fisher? Like, they're all whatever players, but they're not going to make any kind of difference for you. Yeah. like. I just, this team confuses me. Yeah, same here. So, um, do you have their over-under point total? I do. Guess it. They scored 80 last year. Or, I keep saying they scored. I would guess it would be, to bring it, I I think everyone will probably, I'll say 80.5. 85.5. So, there's a little more faith in the offseason than I kind of thought there would be. I'm going to slam that under. I think now, hmm, I guess the one thing I'm not considering. So a lot of the teams near the bottom division, I think undisputedly have gotten better. The Bruins aren't putting up 135 points again this year. Spoiler alert. Now I think they'll still be a better team than people give them credit for, but like the Bruins could drop 40 points off their total from last year and still be in a playoff spot by like four points. Yeah. So I guess in that sense, there probably will just be some natural and like even the lightning who had 98 points, we'll get to them, but like they have to, the, the salary cap is just naturally chiseled some, some depth off there. So maybe I'm not giving them a cover. I'm still going to go under on 85 though. Yeah. I think it's a pretty reasonable line. If I had to pick a side, I would also prefer the under, like I said, cause I just, I don't really buy the upside in their distribution. I more so just buy, like, I don't expect them to bottom out. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. Like, if we're saying Montreal is 72 points this year or whatever, I, I could see Detroit being 12 points ahead of them at 84. Again. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess one thing to watch w- with this team as well. Um, I'll go with, hmm, what do I want? I'll go with more decider. I want to see, you know, what is... What is the real kind of thing? Because I think it'll be interesting, not only for this team, obviously they need him to be closer to that rookie season, 50 points, 82 games, and and played a lot of all situations and pretty well versus last year, 42 points in 82 games and just didn't look quite as good. Um, if he can be obviously closer to a number one defenseman that people think he is, uh, that's great for the team. But I'm also curious just based on how they're going to pay him this off season too. This is the last year of his ELC and if they use him 23 minutes a night in all situations, I don't care if he's not that good. They can't then turn around and be like, well, we're not going to give you eight by eight or whatever. Yeah. That's how you put yourself in a really weird spot. I agree. He's probably the most important thing by a significant margin. Cause like if he's as good as a lot of people think he is, it actually does change time to this team. But if he's even somewhat close to what the models have treated him have right now, like they're in a really bad spot. Yeah, like that defense core is quietly one of the worst in the league if he's not like really good. And assuming uh, Edmondson doesn't make it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's like Ghost Spare's fine. Hall's fine. But like there's there's really no one other than Cider you want playing tough minutes. No, like even Jake Wallman, I think, is an underrated name that people might not really know about, but he's not a number one defenseman by any means. Yeah, I buy him as a nice little second pair piece or like, you know, if you play him with an elite partner or if, or if he has had just really good chemistry with whatever, like nice piece to have, but you're not like psyched you're going into games against Matthews and Marner because you have Jake Wallman. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, you look at their defense core, assuming Edmondson doesn't make it out of camp, it's Wallman and Sider right now is their, is their top pair. If Sider is what people think he is, that's okay. But then you go, even if Sider is great, you have Sherratt and Jeff Petrie on your second pair. Don't love that. Neither of those guys are very good in their own end. Petrie, it's going to be interesting to see if his bad play last year was age-related, usage-related, what it was. But then Gostas Bear Hall as a third pair is fine. But again, it's not a strength, I would say, either. I would go as far to say is not only is that a strength that is their best relative <laughs> ranking line on the team but your third defense pair being your best relative to league average line on the team is not a good sign yeah and even then like it's still just okay you know like, it's not the elite yeah. third pair yeah they're not gonna well, be running at 60 percent xg just rolling weak competition no, they're they're both just kind of underrated, useful players. But yeah, there's a reason that they do have flaws in their game. So that'll be the, I guess, Cider's the thing I'm most looking forward to keeping an eye on. Uh, is there anything you want to watch with this team? Yeah, now that we have the prospect side, I'm going to skew in one direction fairly heavily. And uh, keeping up with the Slavkowski team, same draft, same league. Um, our model quite like Marco Casper relative to the other public models, so I'm going to be keeping an eye on him. It was cool to see him crack the NHL so young, and I, I hope that's a good sign that we were closer to the truth than other models publicly. Yeah, that's a that's a good one for sure. I, I guess a, a third one quick would also be just what does a Debrinket bounce back season look like? That was what I was going to be pick if I wanted to go away from prospects, but I don't care about the prospects of the good teams, so I was saving my non-prospect related ones for any of the good teams. Yeah. All right, so that is the Detroit Red Wings. Um, let's go to the next tier where I actually have four teams in this tier and it is the playoff bubble tier where I think all four of these teams definitely want to make playoffs, expect to make playoffs, and would be relatively levels of disappointed if they don't make playoffs, but I also would be pretty surprised if any of these teams were like truly, truly competing for the division lead. It makes sense. I think I didn't explicitly tier them, but when I'm looking at it, I think I would agree with four teams that fit that description. All right. So let's start at the bottom of this tier. Then who did you have in sixth in the division? I had, and this was the, toughest one for me i i ranked them all and then i did their over underline just to see where i was like on and off market and there's two teams basically right beside each other in terms of their uh over underline and they were the two that i struggled with most but i went with ottawa in sixth okay i have ottawa in fifth and buffalo in sixth but yeah i the... i almost put them beside each other because i just yeah, i they're with they got a point so close year. Uh, Buffalo had more points. Like Buffalo had a, a much better end. Buffalo finished with ninety one. 
Ottawa finished with 86, so they were five points off. But um, Ottawa also, for the third year in a row, got off to an absolute disastrous November, and then both their goalies got hurt as well. So um, yeah. definitely some bad luck. Let's start with Ottawa then. We'll, we'll go with them. Um, very interesting offseason. Obviously, they get new ownership. is definitely the, the biggest thing, I think, of the offseason. Uh, they trade away Alex to after he made it known he wasn't going to sign long-term there. Uh, we kind of already talked about that trade, but then they bring in Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, as a free agent on a one-year deal to try and make up for some of that. Dominic Kubelik came in with the trade. Um, they bring in free agent Zach McEwen. Don't get me started on that. Um, and then they signed Jake Sanderson about a week ago to a massive deal, eight years, just over $8 million for a guy who's played 77 career games. And they also brought in Jonas Corposalo and net. So let's start with the Sanderson thing, because we haven't talked about that at all on the podcast. Um, before I give you my thoughts, I want to hear your thoughts as obviously a non-Ottawa Senders fan. What did you think when you saw this deal? And now that you've had some time to digest it, what do you think from the the team's perspective, especially? Yeah, my opinion hasn't usually with some of these young player contracts, my opinion kind of ebbs and flows a lot. I think I have like the exact same take on this contract as the moment it was signed. I think this was a fantastic contract and a couple of reasons why. I mean, he's already an above average NHL defenseman. So let's let's be harsh and say he was a three. He's a three in his age 20 season. Um, on top of that, you're still going to want some growth out of him to pay him $8 million. A decent bit of growth from that, obviously, if you're going to pay him $8 million from a number three defenseman. But like, he did everything you would want to see well. He did not have a great situation with who he was playing with. He was a fifth overall pick. And he was a highly touted prospect. Like it's not like Ottawa has some reaches where I wouldn't necessarily use Tyler Boucher's draft position or yeah. whatever to say I expect big things out of him. But like he was understood to be that guy as a prospect. Um, he did great in the NCAA. Like it seems like this is all part of a coherent progression for Jake Sanderson, where up to this point he has done everything you've wanted him to, and he seems like as good of a bet as. Pretty much anybody, he plausibly could have won the Calder last year, if I remember correctly. He didn't. I'm not even sure he made the top three, but like he was in that tier with the rest of the guys at very least. Like, I don't know. It seems like he's part, he's on a path to do exactly what you need him to do. Uh, it's a little bit of a risk because you haven't seen him do it yet. But if we're going to get away from a world where we're overpaying guys in UFA, that money's going to go somewhere, and that money should go to players like Jake Sanderson. Music to my ears. Music yeah. to my ears. Yeah, no, I, I think you you hit on everything there. Um, I, I think from it, I mean, I love this deal, for, first of all. Like, I, I absolutely, I was surprised. I didn't expect it to get done but I this soon, but I absolutely love it. Um, I think from a Sens fan perspective, there definitely is a little more risk than Sens fans are willing to admit. Like the yeah. the definite uh, reaction on Sens Twitter was hands down, this is going to be a steal. This is absolutely amazing. Tim Stutzla 2.0. I would lean it's a little more likely than that, but people were not even considering that, you know, what if he is just a number three, number four kind of guy in which you were paying way too much money. Um, but this is a risk you have to take if you're Ottawa. And the reason why is... 
much like Mortis Sider with the Detroit Red Wings, if Jake Sanderson doesn't pan out to be a top pair defenseman, this team probably isn't going to be going anywhere where they want to go anyways. So I am totally okay with leaning into the risk of the high upside of a guy, as you already mentioned, was touted coming into the draft, got picked high, and immediately showed why he was picked high. He was an unreal defenseman in his D-plus one year in college. Last year, you said his uh, situation wasn't great. It was downright bad. He had to play with Travis Hamanick, who for some That's reason they resigned. He, he, and in a top, like in a second pair role where they were getting the defensive shutdown matchups, and he looked okay. Like he kept his head above water. Um, the other reason I'm gonna, I'm totally okay with this is I saw a lot of people. Obviously, again, like I don't expect most, especially casual hockey fans, to know who Jake Sanderson is if you don't watch the Ottawa Senators. So when you see a guy who's only played 77 games get paid 64 million dollars, almost a million dollars per game played in the NHL, you're gonna go, what the hell is that? But the Ottawa Senators are going to use Jake Sanderson as their number one shutdown defenseman this year. I promise you that. I yep. promise you that. So people, I, I the one reaction I saw so much was, well, even if he put up 50 points next year, how much were you really going to have to pay him? And it's the more decider thing all over again, where if they decided that they were going to play him as a number one defenseman, who's going to play on the penalty kill, he's pushing for number one power play minutes too. I don't know if he's going to get it over Chichen or Shabbat or even Branstrom for that matter, but like he is an option on the power play. You're going to, you can't turn around and then be like, we're only going to give you $4 million or $6 million or whatever. Right. So yeah, the money was going to go up just based on how they were going to use him regardless of results. Um, yeah. And he's yeah. drafted high. He's loved within the league. Like that, that money was going. Yeah, the only real risk from the money perspective is injury, but I mean, you got to take a risk there at some point. Yeah, and and even then, like, how often do we see in the NHL if a guy does get hurt, it goes right on to LTIR? Like, yeah, so yeah, I I love this bet. There definitely is some risk, do not get me wrong on that, but like, at this point, I think you know, if Jake Sanderson doesn't pan out how they're kind of hoping he pans out to if he's less than an eight million dollar defenseman, I think this team's in more trouble anyways than just his eight million dollar cap hit. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. And with the cap going up, I mean, you might have just signed a contract that we're looking at as top ten contract in the entire league. And to absolutely. sign a contract like that, you need to give up some risk, which absolutely. is something that people don't understand. Like the Nathan McKinnon contract was great because Nathan McKinnon broke out after that. It wasn't a slam dunk. He was a $12 million player who just signed for six out of the goodness of his heart. You can look to this team where Tim Stutzler did it last offseason. People were saying the exact same thing where they're like, he's a good player, but 8.35 for eight years is a lot of money to be paying him. I don't really know. And then Tim Stutzler comes out and looks amazing last year. And I think they're probably still another step to grow for him. And, you know, already that looks like a steal of a deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, Sussel doesn't even need to get better. He's probably already an $8 million player. Oh, yeah. I I think he is, you know, I think we brought this up a few times, but he's as good of a bet as anybody, I think, to make the step into being truly elite. Yeah, like he had 39 goals and 90 points last year. Now, scoring was up, so take that with a little bit of a grain of salt, of course, but like, yeah, so I, I don't know. I absolutely love the Sanderson deal. Um, let, let's get into talking about the team quickly as well. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm really excited for this year. I, I won't lie. I think 
the the biggest thing is they cannot get off to a start like they had the last three years where they basically started. They've had a seven plus game streak where they've gone zero points at some point in October or November, all of the last three years. And it's just absolutely killed their season. Um, yeah. The thing I'm kind I am very excited about this year is to see kind of how they can spread out some of their depth uh, up front. Uh, in years past, it has just been a bit of an issue where the top six is already really good, especially last year. Like Kajuk, K- sorry, Kachuk, Stutzla, Giroux, uh, Batherson. Batherson was was okay, but even to bring it, um, you know, those four were very, very solid. Josh Norris was so injured last year, unfortunately. Um, but then the bottom six just sucked. The, the bottom six could not do yeah. anything. One of the things they tried to address this year, and some of it's just been internal as well, is you know they're they're trying to get some more scoring. So now they they're going to run 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 out something like Kachuk, Stutzla, Tarasenko on their top line, uh, Giroux, Norris, Batherson on that second line, uh, Ridley, Greg, Shane Pinto, and Dominic Kubalik on the third line. They might also switch someone like Kubalik and Batherson if they want to spread out the scoring a little bit. And then the fourth line is Matthew Joseph. Mark Kostelik and Zach McEwen probably, unfortunately, but um, even like Matthew Joseph being definitely on the fourth line is, and Igor Sokolov is another name that will probably, I could see him taking McEwen right out of the lineup if it wasn't for the three-year contract, but it is league minimum. So I, I don't really know where we stand on that, but like they just, they definitely have more depth up front this year. But the the star power is what's going to have to to take them. But Josh Norris actually being able to play for a full season I, people shouldn't underrate that either. He's got one of the grossest shots in the league and is going to add just another weapon to that power play. Yeah, I, I, kind, of, I kind of forgot about that because I, I was looking and I was like, oh, like, I know they're young, but I mean, they weren't great last year and they lost to Brinkett and brought in Kubalik and flipped Talbot for Corpus Allo, but like Norris could easily be better than DeBrinket was last year. Like him not playing at all is huge. This team could not score to save their lives. They actually generated offense decently well. They just didn't convert it super well. Uh, what's a good antidote to that? Getting one of the best shooters up the middle in the entire league back should be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's um, it, it just it cannot be understated. And yeah, having Shane Pinto who was playing up in that second line role a lot last year and just looked. You know, like he, he's a solid player, but he just looked like a bit of a fish out of water playing in the top six, having him kind of do a yeah. bottom six role and, and Ridley Gregg playing. Ridley Gregg's a really fun player if anyone gets to watch him. He's not the most skilled in the world, but he's definitely one of the, he's already quickly becoming a fan favorite, just the style he plays. And and sometimes those guys can definitely be overrated, but it's uh, definitely going to be fun to watch. So yeah, no, I, I'm really excited to watch how this offense can come together and and if they can get some more depth scoring, that'll go a long way. Cause I cannot tell you how many years or how many games last year I watched where it's like they would lose four, two and Stutzla have a goal. Giroux would have a goal. Kachuk would have an assist. Uh to might have an assist in there. And then the bottom six just did nothing for like an eight game stretch. It's like, Oh my gosh. It, it just, it sank them down the stretch last year. So that'll be, the, I think the biggest area of improvement. And then if you go to the defense, this is going to be interesting. Thomas Shabbat, Jake Sanderson. Those are the two names that everyone knows. Jacob Chitron they brought in for a big, big haul last year. Chitron is yep. going to be the X factor on this blue line. Uh, obviously, Sanderson in terms of the, the the ceiling. But how they use Chitron, I'm going to be really interested in because he is a left-handed or a, like a left-pairing defenseman. 
He has played a little bit at the right, but not a lot in Arizona. And people seem to just think it's a given that he's going to slide over to the right this year. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits. And then Artem Zub as well, who had a bit of a down year last year. I won't lie. I, I think he's still, he reminds me um, a lot of Jake Wallman on Detroit, where again, like Zub is a very useful player to have. No team is scared of going against Artem Zub, but as your fourth defenseman, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you got the one, two and three, like you do. Yeah, exactly. So um, it'll be, I'm, I'm very curious to see if they do slide Chitron over to the right side uh, and, and how just they use him. Uh, Shabbat and Chitron played a few shifts together last year. So that there's not a lot of data on it. I thought they looked pretty comfortable when they did. Um, and I think Shabbat could fit well with a guy like Chitron where they're both pretty good um moving the puck and, and, you know, with their skating as well uh, and, and closing gaps. And that's definitely a, a strong point, I would say, of both of their play. And then that pairing of Jake Sanderson, Artem Zub could be the quote unquote shutdown defense pair, which they were using like Travis Hamanick, Nick Holden, um, Ron Hainsey in the past couple of years in, and it was just a disaster. <laughs> I forgot Hainsey too. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just been, been a bit of a mess for the better part of five years. So uh, and then the third pair right now is probably going to be Branstrom and Hamannick with um, Jacob Bernard Docker as an option to slide in there as well. I really would like to see Bernard Docker and Branstrom on the third pair, but something tells me it might be Hamannick a little more than uh, JBD. So again, I, I would say, assuming Chitron stays healthy, an upgraded defense core, but it's it's has its risk for sure as well. A lot of risk, I would say. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. There's... Again, what we said Detroit didn't have, there's legitimate upside there, but there's also some downs, a, a more downside. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then in net, they bring in Jonas Corposalo, which, I don't know, I think I made my feelings clear on the move. I didn't love it. I think it was too much money for too much term for a guy who is probably overrated. Um, that being said, him and Anton Forsberg, who has been quietly one of the more underrated goalies in the league for two years, um, Probably like they'll be a fine tandem. I, I don't think they'll be great, but I think they'll both be okay. Forsberg, I'm the only thing I'm worried about is he blew both knees out last year. Apparently, he's completely healthy coming into camp, but like knee injuries for any goalie is scary, especially one that's 30 and you blew both of them out. I can't imagine what that recovery must have been like. So Forsberg and Corpusallo, I don't think it's it's definitely not a great tandem by any means, but it's upgraded over the past couple of years. Yeah. I think that makes sense. That should that is the most reasonable way of looking at it. That they're not going to have an elite goalie duo. I doubt, but it should be better than last year's. And last year's goaltending kind of sewered them. Oh, it was horrible. It yeah. like, even Forsberg started slow last year, picked it up, and then right as he was getting hot again, got injured. And Cam Talbot was just a uh, he was a mess last year. Yeah, he was a disaster. I didn't realize he was that bad, to be honest. Yeah, like, I don't even know if he got his save percentage up above 900. Jeez. It was, it was like... The team save percentage is below it, so it wouldn't shock me if the starting goalie, who was a disaster, is also below it. Yeah, that, like, it was... Yeah, it, it was a mess. It, so to the point where just even natural regression, and like Forsberg was a 902 last year, and he had a horrible start. So um, just yeah. natural regression should bring it up a little bit. So... um. 
One thing to to watch with this team, I'm going to go with the Jacob Jacob Chitrin experiment. I, I think there's lots of options, but uh, just how they use Jacob Chitrin, how he fits into this defense core, is definitely I think one of the biggest X factors for this team. Yeah, I like that. For mine, I have something we've brought up a couple times. Um, I want to see if Tim Stuzzle can like jump to be an MVP candidate. My closest comparables through for him on our site through this age are in order. Leon Dreisaitl, Nick Ehlers, Matthew Tuchuk, Jack Hughes, David Pasternak, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, Nathan McKinnon, Elias Pettersson, Alexander Barkov. A pretty goddamn good list of players who have looked similar to him at the same age. And it'll be cool to watch, see if he makes that jump. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, what was their point total over under? Uh, 86 last year. Guess what they got this year? I'll say 89. Pretty pretty damn good. 90.5. Okay. Mm. I'm going to be a homer and take the over. But again, that's a pretty good line. I, I think the 89 to like 92 range is... Yeah, not unrealistic, but I'm I, gonna. I guess is good at their jobs. Yeah, exactly. It's like they they pay people to do this or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna bet on the the upside of guys like Tim Stutzel and Jake Sanderson. I'll go with the over. I like that. I think there there could be room. I don't. I haven't actually looked in. I don't even know if these exist in hockey. But you know, like the alt lines where you go mm-hmm. higher. Yeah, I think that might be probably better than the median outcome for them because. Yeah, I think I think there's a legitimate upside, and if if Corpus Allo's legit, especially if he's what we saw, it was the back half of last year. He was really good, right? Yep. Yeah, then they could, and then Stuzzle's an MVP or whatever at the same time. Like they could just cruise into the playoffs and be, you know, they've arrived. Yeah, like it's it sounds silly just to put it to something as simple as this, but if their goaltending goes from like eight eighty or eight ninety eight or whatever it was last year to. 908 like that'll make just a world of difference itself huge yeah so um all right well let's go to the other team that is right with them in this kind of young up and coming um very good uh you know very bright future i would say but who knows what they're going to be this year and that's the buffalo sabers yeah these are the two hardest teams to differentiate between in the entire division by a significant margin in my opinion yeah, I would assume they're probably point over under is around 91, 91 and a half as well. 92 and a half. Yeah, like it's... Um, so again, they finished, has them one game better. That's... Yep. They, they finished with 91 points last year, which um, I, I'm really, I'm really, this is a team that I'm going to be absolutely fascinated to watch this year. I have no doubt that they're going to be a solid team like they were last year, but... I don't know. Part of me just kind of wonders if they overachieved a little last year and people are putting maybe a little too much faith into them just repeating everything this year, but they definitely have upside going for them in terms of much like Ottawa, they have some players that I think they should realistically expect to get better. So that's very encouraging for them. Yeah, they're a fun one to analyze because they had a lot of guys all break out at the same time. Yeah, and like, and you can bet against those, or yeah, like, but they're young, so like, it very well could be real. Yeah, and because they have like people like Rasmus Dallin who kind of put it together last year. Um, for you know, obviously he he looked really good in his rookie year, had a couple down years, and then looked really good last year. But then they also have some older guys who like 
um, Alex Tuck and, and even Tage Thompson looks legit again last year where it's like, okay, those guys are a lot older and finally put it all together. Was that still some luck or is that just, you know, they needed an elevated role like we saw with guys in places like Vegas, for example, where this is what they are and, you know, they just needed a bit more of a role on their team. Yeah, I should. I think I buy that they're real, but I don't know. I want to be cautious in that take because I don't have a huge sample of a lot of it. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I am starting to believe the Tage Thompson hype a little more, especially because, you know, he's not as old as I thought he maybe was. Like He's only 25. It's not like this dude yeah. is 30 and broke out or anything like that, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think this should be a very... At the very least, regardless of how good or bad they are, this is going to be a fun, exciting team to watch. Like Jeff Skinner, Tage Thompson, Alex Tuck. Uh, their daily faceoff is putting J.J. Paterka in that second line. That seems like a bit of a jump already. But um, Dylan Cousins, Casey Middlestad, Jordan Greenway they traded for this offseason. I think that was a, a pretty savvy pickup. Peyton Krebs, Victor Olofsson, um, Zemgis Gurgensen, Tyson Jost, Kyle Ocpozo. Uh, Like They just... They have a bunch of guys who Casey Middlestead is another name where, again, I don't exactly know what these guys are going to be long-term, but I know that they are fun players to watch. Yeah, they're going to be a very entertaining team. Their, their results are hilarious. Like They were essentially tied for the second best like scoring team in the division, and they were like as bad as Montreal defensively. Yep, and like in terms some of, of that was against. probably goaltending too like their goaltending they were playing like 42 year old Craig Anderson at times last year but their yeah. defense definitely didn't help that out yeah because their like power was great but power's not a defensive force um I think Dallina had good defensive results but yeah they're they're very clearly an offensive team guys like Tage give a lot back Skinner gives a lot back I think Cousins does too if I remember correctly but yeah they're fun if nothing else Yep, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, obviously, I don't think it'll be as big of a difference maker this year, but one of the reasons people are so high on Buffalo, and rightfully so, is just the gross amount of prospects they still have in their system, too. Like, even up yep. front, Zach Benson, uh, Matthew Savoy, um, Anton Wahlberg, as well as, I believe, a second-round pick this past year. Like, they just have a bunch of names that are expected to be difference makers. Uh, Isaac Yuri Rosen, Kulich. as well. Yeah, like they just, they have a disgusting amount of help coming as well. And I think one of the most interesting and maybe one of the biggest X factors for this team is how quickly can someone like Matthew Savoy come up and replace like a Tyson Yost on the fourth line and give some legitimate upside? Yeah, if they're making a playoff run, I'll bet you at least Coolidge is on the team by the end of the year. Yep, Possibly. Yeah, like. Yep, absolutely. Um. I think in terms of the success this year, a guy like Dylan Cousins is going to have to take quite another step forward. Um, yeah. You know, he probably hasn't developed quite to the point that I think maybe some Sabres fans were hoping, but, you know, he's not a bad player by any means, but I think if they want to take that jump into playoffs, that'll come from someone like Dylan Cousins on the uh, forward side of things, taking a step forward. And, and that doesn't even necessarily have to be offensively. Maybe it is just becoming a defensive reliable center or forward that you can kind of, kind of count on in tough defensive minutes. Yeah, I agree with that. Cause they're in a bit of an awkward spot where, I mean, they have a lot of really good young players, but 
like getting a ton of help from Benson and Savoy isn't happening this year. And outside of Cousins, like I doubt Tage is taking another step. I doubt Tuck's taking another step. I doubt Dalene's taking another step. It's really him and Power are the two that you would expect to take steps beyond what they've already seen if you're looking to improve on last year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of where the big question comes in is how much better can this defense core be than it was last year? Uh, Matias Samuelson, Rasmus Deline, Owen Power, Connor Clifton, Henry Yokoharu, Eric Johnson. Um, Owen Power obviously is the X factor there where absolutely phenomenal rookie campaign last year. Believe you on the Calder, if I'm not mistaken. And like, was just like, he looked phenomenal. And, and I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be phenomenal again this year. But again, is it that step from like, still very good, but very much learning in his own end and everything? Or can he become a true, legit, like top 30 defenseman where there's no questions asked? Because if he is that and can play a bit more all round, like this team, that, that'll just do wonders for this team on all pairings. Yeah, exactly. And it'll make their goalies lives easier, which is a big problem and everything. Like that can just have such a big trickle down effect on the rest of the roster. Yeah, 100%. So, and then, and then when you mentioned goalies as well, um, that'll be another big question mark where right now, according to Cap Friendly, it's Eric Comrie and Uko Pekka Lukanen. Um, but obviously, they have um, Devin Levi in net as well, who is. They are basing, you know, the, the future in net around basically. And he lo- he was the best goalie in, in college for two years straight, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but he's a 21-year-old stepping into the NHL. So it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see how many games he plays this year and just how good he can be. Because if he can even be a, a 9-10 kind of goalie, like this, this roster is good enough. They can work with that. But if they get, you know, the bad end of variance from goaltending again, it's they're going to be in some trouble. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to make the playoffs. This team gets sewered by their goalies again. Yeah, one. I think they're good, but they're not good enough to overcome that. Yeah, I I agree. So, um, one thing you're looking for with this team, I want to watch Delhi. I want to know, like we we did our ranking show. I think I put him like six or something in the entire league. I want to know if I jumped the gun or if or if he is he has arrived. Yeah, I uh, I think that's a great one as well. Um, because, yeah, as much as I mentioned power, like if he is just a legitimate like top 15 defenseman, that also goes a massive way. Um, yeah. I will go with, I want to see one more year of Tage Thompson, I guess. And maybe I'll throw Alex Tuck into that, but definitely Tage Thompson, where like Tage Thompson transcended from a guy who was literally not an NHL caliber player for a couple of years to 68 points, 38 goals, 68 points in 78 games to 47 goals, 47 assists for 94 points in 78 games last year. Like is Tage Thompson a 90 point centerman who is a legit number one center? Is he closer to a 70 point centerman who is maybe a fringe number one? Does he drop back down to a 60 point center? I don't really see that happening, but another year of Tage Thompson data point is really what I want to see. I'm into that. Tage is always interesting, so that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, okay. What is there? You said there was 92 and a half was their point total? Yeah. Are you going over or under that mark? I wouldn't actually put money on either side. I would probably bet over, if anything, but I don't know. 
Yeah, I think I am also. I don't want to do this, but yeah, I think I would lean slightly over as well. Um, they had a a relatively high shooting percentage last year. Like they were, yeah, fifth in they the league, the highest rate in the division. Yeah, eleven point one or eleven percent on the dot. Uh, only teams higher were Vancouver. Uh, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, or sorry, Boston, who all had 11.1, and then Edmonton at 11.8. So they were definitely Ooh, yeah. at the top. Um, yeah, I, I still think I would go slightly over. And again, a lot of it is just like a team like, there's going to be so many more points available, I think, because Boston is going to drop and not have 135 points. And I don't think anyone's going to replace all of those points, you know? It'll be, I think, a, a by-committee thing. So I'll go over. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Everybody's going to win an extra game, basically. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Boston Bruins, I have them fourth in the division. Much like Buffalo and Ottawa, I have Florida and Boston very close, though. I could really go either way. Interesting. So we're a little different at the top. I also did have Boston for them. Okay, that's good to know. Um, did you have Florida top two? I had Florida too, yeah. Ooh, that is spicy. I like it, but... All right, let's start with Boston because we we will have them four, and then we'll get into Florida. Um, I mean, that's all weird. Yep. So we're doing the over unders with them. Boston has the second highest line in the division. You know, I that doesn't shock me just because, like, how often do we actually see teams drop like forty five points in the standings? Not very often, but tell yeah. me if you can win a cup with this top six or you at can't. least win a No, division. you can't. <laughs> oh, well, wait, 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 wait. This top six. Bergeron, Krejci, Bertuzzi, Felino, Craig Smith, Taylor Hall. Oh, um, I mean, that just because of how good Bergeron is, sure. Yeah. Cup, maybe, that that's maybe where you, you're running some trouble. Yeah, Cup's a little gross. But, like, that's an average top six, and all yeah. of those players are gone. Yeah, like... That's why I'm like, I, I almost debate putting a- them below Buffalo and Ottawa, to be completely honest, because yeah. Bergeron, I, I don't think people are like, I think people are maybe understating how important Bergeron was to this team. And then also to lose Krejci as their 2C, also to lose Taylor Hall, who was literally driving the third line offense for this team, which was a massive reason for their success. Um, and just, I think naturally, I don't think Campus Lundholm's going to repeat what he did last year. I know Linus Olmark's not going to repeat what he did last year. And it kind of sounds like they're thinking about trading away Jeremy Swayman, who is probably the goalie I would keep out of the two just for long-term bet. Yeah. And even like, like last year was so stupid. Like he's a great player and he's still going to be a great player. David Pasternak's not repeating last year. Or at least he's not likely to. Most of the roster had career years. Yeah, exactly. The team had a 104 PDO. That used to cause internet wars. Yeah, like... Um, and then they just lost a decent top six plus Dmitry Orlov. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just... Like, I'm going to read out their lines right now for, on Daily Faceoff. James Van Reensdyke is their number one left winger because they have Brad Marchand slated the second line. Let's put Marchand on the top. It goes Marchand, Pasternak on the wings with Pavel Zaka in the middle, which then puts JVR, Charlie Coyle, and Jake DeBrusque on the second line. Uh, Jacob Lacou... Morgan Geeky and Trent Frederick as their third line. Milan Lucic, Jesper Boquist, and AJ Greer as their fourth line. 
that's just not a good offense. That is a one-line team even more aggressively than they have been for the past, like, four years. Way more aggressively. And also, like, continuity has to matter a little bit, right? Like, just basically your entire roster changing over, your entire forward core changing over in a year-over-year. Like, that's got to be quite an adjustment. Yep, absolutely. Um, I I do still like their defense. Like, Charlie McAvoy is one of the most criminally underrated players in the league. We both love him, obviously. McAvoy, Grizzlick, Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Carlo, Derek Forbert, Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, I think, you know, a guy like Carlo is probably a little overrated, but as your fourth defenseman, again, I really don't mind that. Yeah, yeah, that's still legit. Um, so that's like defense is going to have to be what they, they strive for this year. It's as simple as that. Yeah. They need to be a juggernaut defensively. I'm pretty sure they, they have the highest goals, like at even strength, five v five, uh, goal scoring right in the division last year. Like, I think that is just going to crater. Yeah. They hit a 128 goal differential last year. They scored 305 goals. The next closest was the Buffalo Sabres at 300 in the division, and everyone was just, like, absolutely loving. Nope, sorry, uh, 296 for Buffalo. They had 300 against. And, and everyone just could not get enough of how high-octane Buffalo's offense was. Yeah, And they scored, and they just... like, nine less goals than the uh, the Sabre, or the, the Bruins, sorry. Yeah. And, like, another thing that worries me with Boston is they weren't that much better Actually, they were a worse XG team than both the Leafs and Florida to begin yeah. with. And we're expecting serious regression. Yeah, like I I don't know. I, I keep going back and forth where I think there is more of a reckoning than some people might let on. But then also I kind of go, I thought the Bruins are going to be worse than they actually have been for five years in a row. So part of me doesn't want to bet against it. But a big reason for that was guys like obviously Patrice Bergeron, um, but also a guy like Taylor Hall, who I, I think, you know, he didn't have a good year last year at all. Like I think he had 30 points. He had an underratedly bad year, but what he did driving like XG on a third line was very important and something I just don't think someone like um, Trent Frederick is going to be able to do by himself or Morgan geeky, you know? Yeah, not a chance. And also, I mean, I'm of the opinion that hockey men overrate how important centermen are to wingers, but like <laughs> this is Charlie really Cole, testing yeah, that theory. We're starting to push that. If you're going to be a team that still, I think has cup aspirations with Charlie um, Pavel Zach as your first line center or Charlie Coyle, take your pick. Yeah. I would love to hear like true serum with their management of what they actually expect out of this year. Like if I it is too cup or bust or like i think they probably naturally have to assume they're taking a pretty big step back but i would assume they still plan on making playoffs this year i would think so well, like i said they're over underlined second in the division like i don't think it's unreasonable but also i could see this team being behind of toronto florida tampa buffalo and Ottawa. yeah like, i think I, that path is there i definitely agree um and the reason I think that, you know, they definitely are still going to want to look for playoffs this year, they don't have their first, second, or third round pick in the draft. Jesus. Yeah. So, and I think their first is maybe lottery protected, but then it becomes like an unprotected first next year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, like, I just, I don't know. 
Um, yeah, 2024 first round pick, uh, top 10 protected. It's with Detroit. So if it, okay, you know, if it's a top 10 pick, it becomes an unprotected next year, which given uh, what's for stainless roster, I don't know if that's any better unless it's like top three, you know? Yeah, there's a non zero chance if it's like nine, they're better off giving it up. Yep. I completely Actually, agree. I go as far to say if it is nine, they're definitely better off giving it up. Yeah. So, all right. One thing you want to watch about this team. I want to watch not the hockey because real hockey is played on spreadsheets. I want to see what Marshawn and Pasternak's RAPM charts look like without Bergeron. Yeah, that is kind of what I was going to go with as well. So I will go with, I want to see just how much different both Linus Omark and Hampus Lindholm look versus last year, where they were both like, not just career years, like better than they have ever looked last year. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Prime Hampus Lindholm was a top 10 defenseman in the league. And last year's six years removed from his prime was significantly better than that. Yeah, so that that's what I I want to watch. Um, what's their over under? It's one hundred one point five. Slamming the under. I I I know yeah. that is such a, a a gap, but like I, I see think it's them a trap. But I'd take it anyways. Yeah, like I just if you tell me they make the playoffs, I'm fine with that. But I think it'd be like with ninety four points. One hundred one point five is still would be second in last year's division. Still, the only thing that would change is the Leafs would be ahead of them. Yeah. I don't foresee a world in which they're still like somewhat comfortably second in the division still. No, I, I completely agree. And again, like it is tough because how often do we see teams drop 30 points? But how often do we see teams lose almost an entire top six forward core? Including yeah. the like the yeah. second best, third best centerman we've seen in 25 years or whatever. Yeah. Like of my our lifetime, and it's not like yeah. they brought like they brought in JVR, awesome, yeah. and Milan Lucic, like awesome, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a fun team to watch. This this is another one where I think the distribution isn't normal, and like I'd probably rather bet them to fully miss the playoffs than just hit the under. Yeah, I I agree. Um, okay, so. This is the interesting part because you said you have the Lightning third. I mean, unless you have the Leafs third, which I'm going to assume you I don't. I do not. <laughs> um, Spoiler. I still kept the Lightning second. Let's talk about Florida first. Okay. I almost debated putting Florida in their own tier. I think they are top of this tier of like playoff bubble kind of team. Um, I think they're the best team of that. And I, I definitely see an argument where them and Tampa are close. Like, even last year, they were only six points apart. Um, yeah. And Florida got – Florida could not score last year. And I think this team can score. They couldn't score and – sorry, their shooting percentage really well, which is partially because of the power play or whatever. But, like, I think this team has an elite – has it in them to have an elite power play. Yeah, I mean, like, we saw with their playoff run, this team is a good team. You know, that, that wasn't yeah. just purely luck. Um, they, they got rid of Duclair this offseason for cap reasons. Um, they did bring in Evan Rodriguez, Rodriguez, sorry, which I, I think is a I like pretty that. underrated pickup. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just, with Tampa, I kind of just got to wait until I don't see it, you know? Like, I yeah, think... that's fine. As weird as it sounds, I definitely 
think that Florida's ceiling might even be higher in terms of just raw points. I don't know about playoffs necessarily, but raw point total, I could see this team being higher, but I think their floor is also lower. Like I am still not yeah, sold that Sergey Bobrovsky is a guy you want playing 50 games a year and being good. I think that's fair. I would counter by Florida was better at five on five last year, both by XG and actual goals with a worse PDO and all of their important players are younger. Yeah. And they lost less. The other thing I'm going to, I'm I'm a little worried about though, is a lot of their players are going to be hurt. I think to start the year. Yeah. Like Mon- Montour and Ekblad both had off season shoulder surgeries. Um, and from what I understand, I'm just trying to look up to confirm this, but I don't think they're going to be there for the start of the year, which, you know, like I, I, yeah, exactly. Um, me, September, October, sure sounds like a positive update. It kind of sounds like they'll probably be expected to miss at least part of the definitely all of preseason I would assume but maybe even part of the regular season like I don't think it's going to be a crippling injury or anything like that just when we're talking about points over a full season losing your two best defensemen is tough yeah yeah it hurts yeah so I I do like kind of what they've done to kind of insulate themselves and give them some more depth where they bring in Mike Riley and OEL which are two guys who had very bad years last year but I think are still useful defensemen in a a low situation role. Like they're obviously not going to be top pairing guys, but when you have um, Ekblad, Montour, Forsling, even like Josh Mahura in front of them, uh, Lucas Carlson will probably be in front of them. Like as six, seven options, that's totally okay. So they've given themselves some depth options, but I'm just a little worried about their blue line and goaltending, especially to start the year. If Ekblad and Montour are not healthy. Yeah. And not, having Spencer Knight for like true, basically uncapped upside in that is tough as well. Yeah. So that's the other thing that's going to be really interesting to see is um, it, the report came out. Did you see this this week that it was um, OCD that he checked into the player systems program for? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, that came out this week. I don't, I don't really know how that got leaked or why it got leaked. So like, I don't want to talk about it too much, but like, I kind of hope that that means what I thought he would have been in there for. So it's probably no, exactly. I'm like, yeah. So it's kind of one of those things where, again, he's only 22 years old. Yeah. You obviously hope that, you know, whatever he's going through, he can help get under control. And if he does come back, that is a huge X factor for this team. And I don't think it would be unreasonable to assume he could be back at some point this year. Yeah. Now, yeah, I think it's totally plausible at least. What they do with the cap would be a little different because he makes four point five million dollars, but and they're um, already over. Yeah, so that would be a bridge to cross when they get there. But yeah, that was uh, a development I wasn't expecting for sure. So that's definitely where I just have concern. I think with this team, where um, like Anthony Stolarz is their backup option in net, who was amazing for part of the year last year, and help drag them into the playoffs or sorry. No, no. I'm thinking of um, who am I thinking of who absolutely went off for them at the end of last year for Florida. Yeah. It wasn't Bobrowski. Um, Are you trying for the regular season? 
Yeah, it's regular season. Spot. <laughs> he started the playoffs and then got pulled in like game one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, people are probably screaming. Stollers played for Anaheim last year, um, but they have him as a backup option, which just I don't, I don't like. I don't think it's that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, like it, it's not the the end of the world, but it's not great either. Um, you know, yeah. like it's just kind of fine. Uh, Alex Lyon is who. Uh, Oh. Up near the end there, yeah. and it was literally for like ten games, but he had like a nine twenty or something like that over ten games. Um, yeah, like I don't know. I just I'm, I'm not like super inspired. Their their forward core is going to be absolutely disgusting. Again, though, like Barkov, Kachuk, Reinhardt, uh, Sam Bennett, you know, uh, Carter Verhage, Evan Rodriguez, uh, Lusta Reinen as well. Um, Anton Lundell taking another step forward would be absolutely massive for this team. And then you just have a, an assortment of guys like Ryan Lombard, Nick Cousins as your depth. That's fine. But like the top nine of this team is going to be very, very good and the strong point again. Yeah, absolutely. They were, uh, they, I think I would bet on them to lead the league in like even strength goals per hour. Yeah. Like Toronto's Oilers a lot better defensively a... when people. Oh, sorry. Lead the division. I meant. Yes. Not okay. Yeah. Yeah. The division for sure. For sure. Yeah. Because Toronto is overrated offensively and grossly underrated defensively. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um. Anything else you want to touch on with this team? I don't think I have anything crazy with this team. I just yeah, like all their numbers were actually really good last year, both mm-hmm. underlying and even the raw numbers weren't half bad. So. If their power play ends up being better than Detroit's, which is in the tier that it was with last year, and given they have an elite top nine of forwards, I think that's a safe bet. Like, I, I see the road to upside for them. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, talking, I think I would move them up a tier to where they're in with Tampa. I think I would put, I wouldn't put them in the playoff bubble. I put them in the competing for top three in the division. Um, yeah, I don't, that's fair. I don't think they're like cup final good. Like they went on a run last year, but I don't think they're going to be like 90 points missing the playoffs like they almost were as well. Yeah, they were one game out of missing. One yeah, and it was like it was Ch- or it was Chicago beating Pittsburgh basically too. Like that was that the same though. Yeah. So, um, one thing you want to look at or keep an eye on with this team? If Tuchuk is actually like the second best player in this division. Yep, I I think um, that's a good one. That's kind of one I had on my radar. I'll go with, uh, I want to see what kind of step Anton Lindell can take as well. I like that. He uh, he was really, him and uh, Reinhardt were really great on that third line for them last year and Lister Reinen as well. So if Lindell can take another step and be like a legitimate, really good top six forward, that's just going to make this team even, even more dangerous. That would be huge. So... Uh, all right, let's go on to the Tampa Bay Lightning then. And uh, this, this podcast is going long, so we'll try and speed this up. This is another interesting team. Um, I def- Oh, sorry, points over under real quick for Florida. What was it? It was 99.5, third in the Ooh. division. Tampa's was fourth. Wow. Um, I'm going to go slightly under for the Panthers. I could see them being at like 98, 99 points. That would still be a six to seven point improvement. Yeah, it's a it's a good line. I think if I was going to take a side, I would pro- 
probably take the over just based on where I have them in the division. I basically have to. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, on to the Lightning. The Lightning, so this is really interesting because I, I think, I don't think the markets are, I mean, I think they're a little off on Boston still, but this is the worst Tampa Bay Lightning team we have seen in a decade? Yeah. Like since 2015, bad. probably? Since they made that when they yeah. lost to Chicago. Yeah, that was, that was 2015. And so probably the year before that then, right? Like, Yeah, because they, they've lost... Kaloran, Colton, Perry, Maroon, Belmar. <laughs> like, obviously, it is the stars that make team, these team, this team tick. But like, they lost essentially all of their bottom six, and they have a good bottom six. Or had, and the had. stars, the stars are getting older too. Like, yep. Nikita Kucherov is thirty. Steven Stamkos is thirty-three. Brain points twenty-seven. Yep. Like, this, this isn't a young team. Fragile. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, I go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Hedman looked awful for a lot of last year. Now he looked amazing in the playoffs. So I don't really know what to do with that. But like if I think this team is in the most fragile state they've ever been, because if Hedman is bad again or Vasileski struggles, I don't think they are good enough anymore to overcome that. Yes, so, I Definitely agree. I think this is weird because I definitely think they'll still be okay in the regular season. Like they weren't world beaters in the last year's regular season. They finished with 98 points in a division that the Senators played like crap for half the year. The Red Wings sucked and the Canadians sucked. Like, yeah, like their line right now is 96 and a half. They scored 98 last year and they lost their entire bottom six. I was just about to say, I was going to put them at about 96 points this year. Like, yeah. Like, that's, I don't know. I think there's like a legitimate route to them looking very beatable. I I, I agree. I am just a little nervous because I want to wait and see it first. Like, yeah. because I mean, as much as we do say that, I do also think there is probably a route where if they do get the other side of health, where if Hedman stays healthy, maybe he's the number one defenseman again. Him and Sergachev is still a, a gross one too, if that's the case. Kucherov and Point are still very good, even if they're getting older. If Steven Stamkos does out, which that that is a big maybe, but like let's say Stamkos even plays 60 games and scores 28 goals or something like that. And then Vasileski, if if, if I said he is the best goalie in the league this year, it probably shouldn't be shocking to anyone. No. So but if Vasileski's league average, I think this team's in for some food. Yeah, like which gonna... no goalie is immune to that they have two players in their bottom six this year that the ottawa senate rebuilding ottawa senators did not want in tyler mott and logan brown logan brown was someone they got rid of a long time ago too yeah they have three because didn't bullet make it through basically the entire league on waivers yep yep that's also true yeah Um, and like they brought in connor sheary who i don't mind and then they all like glenn luke glendenning and josh archibald like there's no there's no upside there, maybe Sheary, but like you're not getting anything useful out of those players. Just at worst, they don't suck, or at best, yeah. they don't suck. And they did the same thing on the blue line, bringing in like Zach Bogosian and Calvin DeHaan. It's like like Bogosian had a great year with Toronto last year, but 
that's not who you want to like. I don't know. Like it was only eight hundred and fifty k. It's not the biggest deal in the world, but I just don't think thirty three year old Zach Bogosian is going to repeat what he did with Toronto. And even I think what he did with Toronto was a little overstated. And that was that was two years ago, I guess. Sorry, but like you know what I mean. What he did with Toronto was more good because he wasn't like a disaster. Like people thought he was going to be. He wasn't like he was actually effective. He was just a number five or whatever. Yeah. And like, again, that was two years ago already. Yeah. So, yeah. I think you remember when Washington, like, was still kind of capable of putting together good regular seasons, but they just didn't scare you anymore. Yep. I think there's a non zero chance that they're they're better than Washington ever was. So they're going to be better than Washington was at the same phase. But like, I think they're following that arc where I bet you they'll make the playoffs, but they're not a terrifying team anymore. Yeah, think. that like Boston, the or Boston, Washington, the year after they won the cup, won that division again. People didn't think they were going to, and then they lost to Carolina in six games. And that, like that kind of arc, I could definitely see where it's like maybe they even surprise us a little bit in the regular season, come second or whatever, and then lose to Florida or Buffalo or whoever gets the third spot. Yeah, yeah. Because so, last year already wasn't elite or really that close to it. Like they were thirteen points back from the Leafs in the regular season. Yeah, they That's, were. They yeah, were Austin like, Matthews points back from the Leafs, and they gonna, got at the team. Bumps. Yeah, exactly. And like people are going to point to, oh, well, they're unhealthy. It's like, yeah, but this is an old team that's played a ton of hockey. They're yeah, going to be unhealthy. Back them to be unhealthy again. Not just old team that played a ton of hockey. Their most important players are in probably this order. Vasilevsky, Hedman, Kucherov, Stamkos, point. Um, all four of the first, or everyone except Vasilevsky and point, has significant injury history on top of being the wrong side of 30 for Hedman, Stamkos, and Kucherov now. Yeah, like it's... Yeah, there's definitely a lot of risk with this team. So um, this is going to be one of the most fascinating teams. I guess the the one interesting thing I want to keep an eye on is can they continue producing, like putting people in depth roles where they just absolutely explode like they have for five years? Or, you know, was that more of a product of other guys they were playing with? And now that they've gutted it and brought in guys like Glenn Denning, Mott, Brown to fill it, is that going to be enough? Yeah, I'm with you there. Just basically, are they smarter than everyone else or not? Because if they're not, and everyone is as they look on paper, they might be in a not a great spot. But they've been smarter than everyone else for a while, so who knows? Yeah, 100%. So uh, what was their over-under point total? 90? Uh, 96. Man. That's a nasty one. I'm going to go, oh, I hate myself. I'm going to go over just slightly. That's fair. If I had to pick a side, I'd go under. Also, if I, I was really putting money on, I'd go with like an alt again. Like, Yeah. I also think like if I was going to, like, yeah, I think I would go way under if I'm going to go under. Whereas yeah. if they go over, like I don't see them being a 115 point team where he told me they were a 90 point team or an 88 point team. I'd be like, yeah, they're an injury or two away from that. Yeah, exactly. I'd, yeah, I'd rather bet under at 90 with great odds than touch 96 and a half. Yeah, exactly. Okay, last team is the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
Number one in the division is what we're projecting. This would be the first time in a number of years. I don't know when the last time they won this division would have been. It would have been like early 2000s, I must. But even those teams, like, there were a lot of eight seeds in those teams. Yeah, this team has been hilarious because I feel like they've been the division favorite for like four years now. They just come second to a new team every year. Yeah. So speaking of your randomness comment to start it off, like they've been a coherent first place in the division favorite. And yet, you know, Boston does what Boston did. Florida did what Florida did. These things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Like um... two years ago with Florida, that is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, again, like we talked about Florida being a better team than they were last year. Florida went back up and exploded for like 110 points and the Leafs had 106. I would be like, yeah, I see that. Last time the Leafs won a division, 99-2000. Jeez. Yeah. So, and to be quite frank, like I think this Leafs team is good and they should be a good team again this year. I don't think they got like particularly better in the offseason, though. I think they got distinctly worse. Yeah, like it's just I think Boston got way more worse is mm-hmm. why I would have them at one and yeah. two. And I am it's funny because as much as their top players are talking about chokers, the the top three, four guys they have on their team, I'm the most confident will perform in the regular season. They have the highest regular season floor in this division by a significant margin. Yeah. Like, like I hate the Klingberg signing or whatever, but they're not going to go from a great team to a bad one because they signed John Klingberg. This is the only team I had in the division winning tier. And this yeah. is like the only team I would be genuinely surprised if they fully missed the playoffs. Yeah. It would be a catastrophe if they did. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I do really like bringing in both Bertuzzi and Max Domi for one-year deals, I, especially Bertuzzi. I think Domi yep. maybe be a little bit overstated. I don't think his playoff run last year, which he looked phenomenal in, I don't think that's truly him. Um, but still a good signing nonetheless. Um, I <laughs> think if Ryan Reeves three years, that is that's wild. Um, yeah, I just, part of like the, the problem I have with his offseason is it, it felt a little stale again. Like, again, they didn't make... Their coach is coming back. All four big forwards up front are coming back. Morgan Riley's coming back. TJ Brody's back right now. Their goalie's coming back. Like, I I go, on one hand, I go, this is a great team that I think got unlucky against Florida last year. So I don't really blame them for wanting to run it back. On the other hand, I go, how many times are we going to do this? You know, like, I get there can't be changed just for the sake of making change, but like, there's also just been no change, you know? Like, Yeah, it's actually funny. After years, I mean, we actually praised him, but a lot of people hated Dubas for running it back. And it looks like the person who wanted to change most in the Toronto front office was Dubas. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty obvious that Kyle Shanahan is the guy who really wanted to keep this core together. Um, yeah. Like, even to the point where Sam Lafferty's back, and, like, I, like Sam Lafferty's not a bad player or anything. It's just like... Not a good player, I think. Yeah, exactly. He's just fine. You probably didn't. He put up six points in 19 games and three points in nine playoff games. It's okay, but you gave him 1.5 for the year. It's like, okay, well, and then you go, well, David Camp's got four years and Young Croak's now in the second year of a four-year deal. Like, I just, Ryan Reeves got three years. It's like, oh, okay. There's a lot of interesting moves here. Yeah, I will say they have legitimate upside from a not 
big four forward for the first time in mm-hmm. the entire Dubas era as his little parting gift with Matthew Nyes. Yes, Matthew Nyes is going to be a big X factor for this team. And honestly, like the, the biggest reason I do like bringing in Bertuzzi and Domi, um, obviously they Bertuzzi lose... might be their best supporting forward, assuming you don't count deadline additions too. Yeah, exactly. Like it kind of, and again, it kind of gives them like a different way to win where a lot of the times last year was the big four score or you don't win. Yep. Whereas this year, like Domi can definitely do some scoring on a third or fourth line. Bertuzzi can slide down the line as needed. Whereas like Michael Bunting, great support player for that top line last year. Michael Bunting's not going to drive his own line offensively. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Michael Bunting's like worst statistics are massively overrated. And anyone who's ever watched a Leaf game or thought about it critically knows exactly why. Yeah, but like Tyler Bertuzzi could go on a third line and actually drive some offense. Yeah, he could like carry a third line, I would think. Oh, yeah. So that I'm definitely excited to watch it and just see how it shapes up. Um, yeah, their blue line, which I didn't think was like, I think they have an underrated blue line. I just do not understand the John Klingberg signing. I just don't get it. Um, I think this and the Domi signing, like they're betting that their defensive system will make up for the shitty defensive results fairly mm-hmm. explicitly. Which, and they're just trying to get offense, which I actually don't hate as a philosophy, but I don't either. But that's why I like I don't mind the Max Domi signing because we just saw him be good offensively. But like Klingberg wasn't even really that. Klingberg, yeah, like he had 30 two points in 68 games last year. Like it's fine, but for how bad he was defensively, that's not good. Yeah. And the other thing is like, like he's been good on the power, like very good on the power play recently, but like truly great offensively, John Klingberg, we have not seen in a fairly long time. No, not at all. And like, maybe he bumps Morgan Riley off the power play. I just don't really see it. If they would have, even if he does, that's not really a win, I doubt. No, like if they would have moved off of Morgan Riley and used him as like a a lighter version at half the cost, I would have understood this a little more. Or like if he would have came in at $2 million, I would have understood it. But I just think there was probably better ways to spend $4.15 million for this year. Yeah, four is so expensive. So I don't know. They're, I think their decor will still be fine. Like Morgan Riley, TJ Brody. TJ TJ Brody is going to be a massive X factor for this defense core because he needs to absolutely step up. What He, he looked awful in the playoffs last year. Like horrid. He needs yeah, to he be did. the TJ Brody of the past couple years because that really balances out the lineup. And then, again, Tim, Timothy Lilligren is going to be a big question mark. If Lilligren and McCabe can kind of become a second pair and maybe you have Klingberg and Giordano as like a sheltered third pair, not a bad decor, but there's definitely question marks there all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Question marks. I think they should be like, I don't see a world in which they're like awful, but no, they've been I, I legitimately agree. good recently on defense, which if it's a strength, I think remains to be seen, which was not true for the past yeah. little while. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good Dubas. Yeah. Good way to put it. Uh, and then Annette, Ilya Samsonov, Joseph Wall, they also signed Martin Jones as like a a third option just in case something happens. Uh, I'm going to be really curious to see what Samsonov-Wall splits look like. Wall looked really good in his short time playing last year. I think Samsonov will start with the net, but if you told me one guy plays 55 games and the other plays, or no, not even, like if you told me one plays 50 and one plays 32, like I wouldn't be shocked. If you told me it was even like 
48-34, I really would not be surprised. Yeah, I think they've got, they're in the perfect situation. They have two competent goalies. Um, yep. You can ride the hot hand. If there is a hot hand, you can split. Um, you're mitigated from like the awful year risk by having two of them. Again, it makes a ton of sense what they've done. Yep, 100%. Um, anything else you really want to highlight on this team here? Not really. I just, I'm really intrigued to see what Lilia Grennan, like if the defensive black hole of Lilia, or not Lilia Grennan, Klingberg and uh, Domi gets eased by the system that they have because I think they believe in themselves pretty clearly. Yep. And I don't know how that's going to look. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the worst bet to make. I just, yeah, the, the cap is kind of the, the big issue I have with it where yeah. it's like, and even Max Domi, like I don't mind him at $3 million, but when you look at his 7.15 for Domi and Klingberg, it's like, oh, that, that is a lot of money. I definitely don't like that when you cap strap. That's for sure. Like if yeah. if Chicago made the bet mm-hmm. on those guys for $7 million, it'd be like, whatever. Yep, exactly. Um, I'm going to be interested to see, I think the, the two things I'm going to look is um, Tyler Bertuzzi, just exactly how he fits into the team, uh, you know, where they play him up, down the lineup and, to a similar degree, but also I think more high upside is Matthew Nyes, um, where I think Matthew yeah. Nyes is the first legit guy, and Pertuzzi a little bit to a degree, but like Matthew Nyes is probably the first guy that I've seen come around in this Leafs team that could like push Tavares as like the fourth most important forward on the team. Yeah, Nyes could be like an actual star hockey player. I like Pertuzzi, and I think he could be like a great second liner, which would be hugely valuable for that, but and Nyes is most likely outcome probably is just a second line or two, but like nice could be a legitimate first line forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm interested uh, to see, I don't know if you remember this. I thought he looked like he shit in transition in the playoffs. And that was apparently his big strength in college. So I'm really intrigued to see that. Yeah. It's going to be, it's so hard because of the playoffs, like he, he didn't play a ton. Right. And, but like, yeah, he, he was great for checking, but yeah, as you mentioned, but also was that just like the Tampa, they played a very checking in the neutral zone kind of system where, you know, they, they just kind of forced Toronto to make mistakes. It was, a, it was almost ugly hockey really for, for yeah. how good those two teams were. Um, so it'll be interesting it to see yeah, if it's less game planning and he gets more space on a Tuesday night or whatever, is he going to be able to really transition the puck well at the NHL level? Yeah. What can you do? Cause with somebody, yeah, I don't know. It was going to be interesting to watch because Tampa's, Tampa has a history of making all of Toronto look awful in transition, except mm-hmm. Nylander, basically. So, yeah, for sure. Um, just what is their point total or over under? Last year they had one eleven, and it is one hundred six point five. I'm gonna hit the over. I think I don't love their team quite as much as last year. I still think you know I li- I like the addition still, and again I just think that some of Boston's points are gonna like. I could see even if Toronto loses two points, they're still on the over and still probably first in the division. Yeah, I I think it's a good line and everything. It's just I would probably take the over too. Just things don't go poorly. I, them being like a one hundred ten point team or whatever again seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, it is like yeah, it is hard to hit that. You know, like. Yeah, they're one of the only teams, like we've talked about kind of the different distributions with like three of the teams here. I wouldn't really want to touch either of the 
crazy lines either. Like, I think Toronto's distribution is normal. Like, I wouldn't want to touch Toronto misses the playoffs, and I wouldn't want to touch Toronto wins the President's Trophy either. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think if I had to lean between those two, I would lean towards President's Trophy, but I, I don't, I just don't think the value would be there, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just think they're one of the five or six teams that could very realistically win it, and yeah, that's never usually something you want to pour cash into with those kind of futures. Yeah, especially because I find betting markets usually favor Toronto a little bit more too, just because they know how big of a market it is and their fans will bet that at times. Yeah. So, all right, that is our division preview. I hope everyone enjoyed. We will be back at you with the Metro Division next week. As always, if you want to find our stuff on Twitter, at NHL Send Stuff, at CM Hockey 66. Thank you everyone so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week.